Joshua chapter 7. We're going to, yes, chapter 7 and 8. Yes, that's a long and lot of uh, coverage. Uh, so hold on. It will go a little longer than normal, but uh, they go together, so I, I didn't want to split them up. It just, uh... Father, we just thank you for this evening. And as we open up your word and, uh, and see what you have for us this evening as your Holy Spirit illuminates your word to us individually, but collectively, but uh, help us, Lord, to have ears to hear, ears to hear and hearts to receive uh, what you have for us this evening, Lord. And may I just so just smoothly go through uh, the lessons learned um, from others as we see others being Joshua and uh the nation of Israel, and etc. So, Lord, uh, show it how you can apply it to our hearts uh, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 7 and 8, I refer to it as defeat to victory because we're going to see in chapter 7, uh, Israel will be defeated by Ai, and then they will have victory over Ai uh, shortly after, a couple of days after. So when they go back up in battle, we will see how this is all playing out. And there's a lot of lessons learned as we go through this that I, I pray that you will catch as, uh, as the Lord leads and to make note. But here in the very beginning of Joshua chapter 7, verse 1 says, but, but that is a very key word there to take note of. But the children of Israel committed a trespass against the cursed things for Atkin or Achan, uh, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, Zabdi, the son of Zerah and the tribe of Judah, took of the cursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So the word but introduces Joshua 7 to us here um, as a signal that things are going to change than what was just happening. What just happened? They just had a tremendous victory, the very first victory uh, over the next seven years of victories. They'll had victory after victory. But tonight we'll see their one and only defeat by a smaller foe of Ai, but they did have victory over Jericho, and what a tremendous story. And everyone knows that story about going around the, the city, and on the seventh time, on the seventh day, the walls came flat down. They had a tremendous victory. So they're having a mountaintop of experience. God is with us. It's miraculous. This is unbelievable. This is incredible. And now that paints a story after victory, after seeing God move in such a mighty way, it sets us up in the next part of the story here in the next day or so. They find they're going to go against another enemy 15 miles north. But notice the lessons learned here because, but the city, the children of Israel com, committed to a trespass. Ooh, that's not good. What is that trespass? Trespass is when you knowingly know you're not to do it. God has crossed, to put a line there, and they stepped over it deliberately. That's a trespass. Versus sinning, no intentions, no, didn't know you were sinning. This found out that through God's word that, yes, he spoke to you and said, that, you know that is a sin, don't you? Really? Oh, no, Lord, forgive me. But a trespass is when you, you know the Lord said, don't step over that line. And they did regarding the accursed things. If you remember, and we're going to see it like six times in this verbiage about accursed things, accursed things. But it's important because we see a particular man named Achan uh, in, come into play here who did that. But Joshua commanded here the nation in Joshua, it's back in chapter 6 verse 18, that they should not take any of the accursed things those things that were associated with the demonic and debased worship, the perverted worship that was going on in that city, and the practice of the Canaanites. They weren't to touch any of those things, first of all. Any of those people, anything. None of that was for them. They were going to conquer Jericho, and they were conquering. They left, and any of the booty, any of the wealth, the silver, the gold, anything of value, it was the first fruits because it's the first the first uh, um, battle, and that would all go to the Lord. None of the warriors were able to touch that. And so, but what happened was, taking note that Jericho became the very first fruits, but 
God very made it very clear. It wasn't like they forgot. They had it very lined out what they were to do and not to do. And these accursed things, these the wars fought by Israel, Kenneth, were not to be a time where we can just blunderingly and uh, uh, you know just be war after war just for personal gain. That is not what war was about back then. They didn't go to war just to get more wealth and more oil and more this and more that. They didn't do that because they were warmongers. They did it because God said you need to do it because they was the enemy and they were going to destroy the nation of Israel if they and, and destroy themselves if God didn't do something and use the nation of Israel to push back the enemy. And it was not just to get gain and it wasn't just to get power. It wasn't just to get anything. But God uses the, the Israel as a sacrament or sacred instrument in God's hand to bring judgment against a society that was ripe for judgment. And that's how God used God's people in that. But notice, so what happened was now they trans. Uh, there was a trespass by a particular guy. No one knew it except this guy, Achan. But God knew. No one else knew, but God knew. And that brought anger of the Lord burned against not just Achan, but we see in the verses here, but against the entire nation of Israel. Well, wait, wait a minute. Did the, the nation of Israel one cause the trespass, or was it just Achan? Well, because Israel could not be defeated by the Canaanites if it wasn't going to be the fact that the fact that they were going against God and His word, but they could defeat themselves by alienating or cutting themselves off from God's plan and power. So God had a plan that you're going to win war after war, battle after battle after battle. But they introduced a trespass. They introduced sin. They went against God. And when you go against God, then you lose God's presence. You lose God's power in that moment. That It's cutting themselves off from God actually intervening and winning those wars for them. And that's what this was all going to come down to. And we'll see the defeat in Ai. But the entire nation felt the consequences of the one man's sin, because in the spirit we are one body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, and 12, verse 20. God was grieved with the entire congregation because of the one man. And it has effect across everybody that uh, is involved, in this in case, the nation of Israel. But we see that in verse 2, that now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to them, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two to three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Take note here, they're going to battle, and it was Joshua, the one that sent these men up to spy out, to scout out what Ai was like. So they traveled up 15 miles, and we see they're at the east side of Bethel, and they're just looking and checking things out, and they come back with a report that says, we don't need to take all the warriors. All we need is a two or 3,000 men. There are not many there. We can wipe them out. It's no big deal for us. But the recommendation to send only two or three thousand men were either, it was a response of, of not on faith, but self-confidence. They had a self-confidence and like, oh, we're, we're tough now. We're big guys. We're, you know, who can take us? We're going to go wipe these people out. We don't need all the, all the resources that are available to us. But in the end, it didn't matter if they even had a hundred thousand troops with them. Because when God's not in it, you're going to lose. Regardless of the resources you have, regardless of the number of warriors, you're not going to win the war if God's not in it. And so they had this self-confidence, and they said, oh, the justification was, do not worry all the people, we just need a few people. But Israel's success depended on their own state of being under the control of God. That God was in control of their lives in every battle they were about to go into. But Achan's rebellion showed, as we will see, that they were not submitted or obedient to God. And because of that, it opened up a defeat for them. Opened up the opportunity, it opened up a little bit of a crack for the enemy to come in and get a hold of them. And we will see that. 
Besides Achan's sin that grieved the Holy Spirit, it was Joshua's failure as well. That's why the nation of Israel, because he represented the nation of Israel, was to, they didn't, he did not seek the Lord about going to this battle. He just took it upon himself. Okay, we won this battle. Let's go for the next one. And it made a logic to go north now. We've conquered from east to west. Now we're going to go to north, to south to north. And we're going to go along this strategic line of the hills, the mountains right there. And we're going to get control. AI is the next place. But he didn't seek God on that. And he didn't hear from God to do it. Instructions for crossing the Jordan had been given to Joshua by divine revelation. We see that in Joshua 3. God, through divine revelation, told them, you're crossing the river. Instructions for dealing with the flesh once they were into the promised land had been given to Joshua by divine revelation, chapter 5. Instructions were given by divine revelation by God for to go in and conquer um, Jericho. We saw that in Joshua 6. So clearly, all along, Joshua was seeking after the Lord, hearing from the Lord, and then once he heard from the Lord, they went, success. But when he thought he could handle AI on himself because his guys were coming back and acting like they're now tough guys, self-confidence, they've got this figured out, and they didn't seek the Lord, and the Lord did not give them divine revelation when and where and how to go for the next battle. Because they thought it was no big deal. Because Jericho was such a big, big giant that we took down. The rest of them are not going to be a big deal. You don't really need to seek the Lord for the small things. Only for the big things, right? No, we're supposed to seek God in all things. And so Paul put it this way when he asked the Galatians in Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You know, you seek after the Lord, and the Lord's coming in your life and doing a work in your life, and now you've got this life that seems to be so in line with God and doing so well. Now you're going to turn back to the flesh and live like, the, like you used to? Like you don't need to now seek God and, on everything? Pray without ceasing? Stay away from all forms of evil? You can handle all that now because you've been walking with the Lord for a while? That's just like Joshua and them. They think they can handle it now. They don't need God. Well, they're going to quickly find out here in verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up there from the, from the people. But they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. For they chased them from before the gates as far as Shebarim, Shebarim. And struck them down at the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Here they are confidently, these 3,000 men marching and going up the hills, up through the hills and up through the, the valleys and stuff and coming up and they're climbing and they're like, I think it's like 1,700 uh, feet above uh, level. So they're climbing, they're going up from, uh, from uh, Gilgal and they're confident going up there with just 3,000. But they, got, they turn around, head tail right back down. And they were coming down, trying to get down the hill. And these guys overtook them and got 36 of the 3,000 out. Now that doesn't sound like a lot. But to them, Jericho, they lost none, nobody. They have all the wars that they fought that God has led them to do. They have never lost anybody. So this is the very first people they have actually killed in war. So this is very significant because they recognized that they had no power and they had no ability and there was no way they were going to do it. There was something not right. Something was not going well. So the defeat of Ai showed that what mattered was not the strength of the opponent, but the help of God. And without God's help, all would be lost. And that's exactly what they learned very quickly. The people of Israel had good reason to be afraid. Their panic was completely logical. Because if God did not fight for them, they had nothing to expect but defeat. If God's not with you. See, the combination of Joshua's sin of not seeking the Lord first going to battle was quenching or quenched the spirit. Achan's sin, his trespass, 
which grieved the spirit, led to the defeat of a nation that was previously invincible. And the same will be the result in our lives. If we grieve the spirit and we walk by the flesh, we will find defeat and not victory. Now we see in verse 6 through 9, we see the fear that Joshua was going to feel, the, the very discouragement here. And it says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their head. They're mourning of the death, not only for those 36, but the mourning and the defeat. They're just grieving right now and, and discouragement. And Joshua said to us, Lord God, why have you brought these people over the Jordan at all? Wow, what a response out of emotion, is it not? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. He's asking God, such an emotional response out of all of this discouragement and defeat. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Oh, wow, talk about an emotional breakdown here, right? Ribbon of the clothes off, sitting in there, and ashes going on, and all of his leaders are all in this pity party and dwelling on what, what is going on here. And his response is, not God forgive us, right? Where we repent, we know we didn't seek you first. He didn't, he didn't own up to nothing. He immediately changes his tune, and he blames God. Lord, why have you brought your people over the Jordan at all? Doesn't he sound like his ancestors? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us through this? Oh, you know, the woe is me, the pity party. Pity is not of God, is of darkness. And not only are you, why did you bring us here, but then he, he, they, he throws out the assumption, you brought us here to kill us. The God that loves you, the God that's brought you through here, he brought you, the, and the first thing you emotionally respond is, is that God doesn't love you and he's going to kill you. I mean, you see how emotions... Even a strong leader and someone who is being used by God and is speaking to God, how if you're not careful and seek God with all of your might in regards to your, your perspective and understanding, how quickly you can turn on God and blame him and ask him why he doesn't love you and, gonna kill, and someone's going to kill you, but you're going to allow people to kill me? Lessons learned. Oh, and he goes as far as, we, we, we should have been content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should never cross the river. We should have stayed over with the other two and a half tribes. We should have been content on the east side of the Jordan. And then we wouldn't have this problem. That's just foolishness as well because the enemies on the other side and those two and a half uh, tribes who are on the other side that didn't come in the promised land, they're going to find out very quickly the enemy's going to wipe them out. I mean, <laughs> again, he just so emotionally in versus coming back to the promises of God and who God is and what he has said to you and the promise and his love, the fact that you're his people. They should have gone to back to the promises as they mourned. Not emotions and extremes. But back to the promise. For Joshua and the elders of Israel, this was a national calamity. They did not take the defeat lightly. They knew that every battle mattered. And there is always a reason for defeat. And such a defeat doesn't just happen. There is a reason for it. And they knew it. Joshua knew if God's hand of blessing and guidance was not, was, was not with them, it would be better if they had not come to the promised land because they're sitting ducks. They're going to get wiped out. It's not going to be good. But how different from so much of Christianity today? We're often so filled with man's programs and power. If God withdrew his blessing and guidance, would even the people even notice that God is not even there? 
Because everything is so dialed in and so calculated that the spirit can leave and you're still clicking on, turning on the lights and turning things on and going from A to B to C and D and it's just the same thing. But there's no power, there's no change. It's just going through the routine. It's going through the tradition, going through the rituals. And you don't even know that God has actually left you because you're grieving the spirit. But he ends there in the verse 9 there about... Well, God, what will you do for your great name? This is not just going to kill us and slander us and everything. But this is what, it, what are people are going to think about how you treat your people and how you, how you were there and not there for the people. It's a, it shows Joshua's overall writing concern was the glory of God, and that's great. But our greatest disappointment when we stumble shouldn't be that we have possibly caused reproach to ourselves, but to the fact that we have caused sin. We have sinned against God, and we have went against the great name of God as a child of God. That is what we should be most concerned about. In verse 10 and 11, we see, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! <laughs> they're flat on their face, and they're in the ashes, and he said, Get up! Oh, you mean you're not supposed to be sensitive and understanding and coddle them and get up? He says, Get up! Enough of this. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. What are you talking like this to me? The, Israel, the nation of Israel sinned. Why are you tell, telling me what I've done? I didn't do this. I am just not, you've grieved me. I've just taken my hands off of this because you never even asked, let alone seek to me and never heard from me. You're doing this on your own power. And so Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my um, covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. So he brings it to light. Now, Joshua, I'm listening to you. Okay, I've got you. You're, you're emotionally just spewing out here. Okay, I hear you. I'm just going to let you sit here. The good news, you know, God is patiently just allowing Joshua and his leaders to stay on their face until the time for the evening sacrifice to take place. And then he says, are you done He'd given them the time to come to the end of themselves. Cry it off, go get it off your chest, say all you want to. Gets them to the end of themselves so that they would obey his directions. And then he spoke to Joshua, okay, you've had enough. Now get up and now listen and do, because what you need to hear the truth. And the truth is, you've sinned against me and someone in the tribe has even trespassed against and taken the accursed things that I told you you were not to touch. No touching. Can you imagine Joshua hearing from the God saying to him, you just spewed all that out and blamed me. Now I'm going to reveal to you the truth. And you're like, oh, the humbling process of Joshua through that. But that's what helps refine a man. God said, get up. We didn't need to beg God. You don't need to beg me to change his heart. God, change your heart. Change your heart towards Israel. Please, please, please. No, no. Joshua had to change Israel's heart before God. They're the ones that walked away from God. They're the ones not obedient to God. They're the ones that are not listening to God. Their hearts need to change. Not God toward them. God's heart for them, his love for them, it was his people. It's not going to change. But they need to face up to the, some of the issues that they weren't willing to do. See, God's provision is for us to live a life of increasing victory. One battle after another, as God brings us through the different battles, he gives us victory. If we're just willing to just do what he's asked us to do, be obedient, and to listen and follow him. But he will not make defeat impossible, taking away our ability to choose good or evil. He always gives us the ability to choose. He always makes it possible for us not to sin here. He makes it always makes it possible not to sin. But Israel chose to sin, but they didn't have to. They chose to. 
but God made a way for them not have to. Israel has sinned. They, 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 they. All the way through the scripture here. And so God says that Israel has, has had sin and not just one man. And it's a staggering to think that a whole nation was found guilty. 36 men died. All for the sin of one man and his family. Paul speaks in a kind of similar terms concerning sin in the church. Regarding sin among the Corinthian church, he said, Do, not, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 1 Corinthians 5, 6. That if you allow just a small sin to be known and dwell within the church, do you not think it's going to affect the whole church? But that's what happens. When you accept it and tolerate it among believers, it will affect the whole church group. Especially in the transgressions, the transgress, the acceptance, the tolerance of sin is worse than the sin itself. And it must be dealt with and strictly dealt with. It can't continue to be there and be tolerated. And when he says they've even some have taken some of the accursed things, they've stolen from God because that was God's stuff, not theirs. And then they were deceived because they were hiding things. Look what happens. We should understand exactly what sin was. Someone in Israel took things that were devoted to God. Devoted either by their giving to, to, into his tabernacle or by complete destruction. They were to make sure they were obedient and give all to God because it was all his. It was the first fruits. But the one man stole from God. In the same way we steal from God when we do not give to him what he directs us to give. Verse 12, therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turn their backs before their enemies because they have, have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. So God made it very clear. You're doomed. I'm not showing up. I'm not helping you. Your enemies are coming for you. Unless you repent, unless you deal with the accursed and come do it my way, I'm not involved with this anymore. So verse 13, get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord your God, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. So God made it very clear to Joshua. Joshua made it clear to the people. This is not something you just let it pass. It's okay. It's a pass. It's no big deal. It's not affecting anybody. It's, it, we don't even know about it. So no, no, God says, I'm letting you know about it, and it's going to affect everybody. And once you bring it to light, you need to deal with it. And if you don't, you're doomed. So sin results in the loss of God's power and the sense of his presence is what happens when you allow sin and trespass to be in your life and not deal with it. You will, you will not sense his presence and you will not have his power to live a victorious Christian life. Israel could not fight in God's power and presence unless they walked in obedience to God. And that is true for us today. Israel was under a covenant with God that promised blessing on their obedience and also promised curses upon their disobedience. God made that very clear in the previous chapter. We are not under the, that kind of covenant as a, as a New Testament believer. Our position with God is made by the work of Jesus on our behalf, not our works. His finished work on the cross deals with our sins. But yet, if we want God's power, and if we want God's presence actively in our life, through our battles, we must walk in fellowship with Him, in obedience and this fellowship is hindered by sin and rebellion in our life, you, we won't sense his presence and we won't sense his power to be able to live victorious. We will sit there and find ourselves spinning out of control and spiraling down because the sin and rebellion will cause that. 
And you'll find like you're in the middle of a wilderness and you'll wonder why isn't God, why are you not hearing God while you read the Bible? Why aren't you hearing God when you're sitting there listening to the teachings? Why aren't you hearing God when you are crying out to him? Because you're not repentant, you're not obedient, you're choosing to be rebellious. And that will cause the same as what Israel's dealing with. It is a sobering to realize that a body in sin has no power before its enemies. It is a wonder to realize that once the sin has been dealt with, then God's power can again flow in our Christian lives and deal with the battles that we're dealing with in our lives. When God deals with a particular area of sin in our life, and when we resist his work, his mercy makes us fall or fail in battle. And it causes us to reestablish. I just lose in this battle. Lord, help me. What is wrong? Does you find any wicked way in me, Lord? Please reveal it to me. I want to repent. I want to change of that. We are our most dangerous when we think we are winning battles by our own efforts when we're actually just leading ourselves down to complete loss. We wonder. We wonder why things are not working out. Wonder why we're not hearing when we cry out to the Lord. But the Lord responds to us. We just sometimes don't always hear it. Where he responds by saying, I love you too much to let you continue in your sin, which will destroy you. So I'm just letting you experience and sense my drawing back from you to get your attention. I'm going to allow you to fail in some things because you're, you're not listening. You don't even realize I have stepped back and, and you, because you've been grieving the Spirit. So I'm holding back my provisions. I'm holding back my presence. I'm holding back my power and my blessings because if I don't, you're going to still continue down this path of just self-reliance and self-propelled life of Christian life and you're, you're spiraling under control and you don't even know it. Then we see here the instructions in verse 14 regards the judgment of the sin. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. So each of the 12 tribes are going to come in front. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. And then the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Now imagine that little message putting out across the nation of Israel. You're going to come in front of the front of me. And the, and the elders, tribe by tribe. Here comes the first tribe, second. Judah was the very first one. They cast, we don't know if they cast lots to determine that. Or it was priest Ephraim that determined with the, the, the colored stones. However they determined by God revealing which tribe it was, the tribe was chosen And after the tribe, then it was the, the family. And after the family, down to man to man. Now we see here in a little more detail in verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning, just like he said it was going to happen. It's going to early in the morning. And brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan. Now the whole clan's now in front, and he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of Zerahites. And he brought the family of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zebedai was taken. Then he brought his household, man by man, each of his child, and Achan, or Achan, the son of Kemari, the son of Zebedai, the son of Zerah, 
of the tribe of Judah was taken. So it was very clear through this method, God revealed exactly right down to the man who was the one that took the accursed things. Now, can you imagine the night before hearing this message in your Achan? You're sitting there and you're hearing this and you're looking at your wife and your kids and says, they know. God's revealed. Our sin has been revealed. Our trespass has been revealed. Do you think he slept that night? What was he thinking in the morning? That God doesn't see things? God sees all things. And so as we see and they go through this, he gets down to this and he remembers right down to the person, the man who's the one that took the accursed. And this man, Achan, certainly remembered exactly what he had taken. Did Did he wish he had not taken it? At that moment? But he and we should remember the regret that sin brings before we sin, not after. You should think, I'm going to regret this if I do that sin. You should remember that there's consequence. You think of that before you do it so you don't do it. You don't think, you don't think about the regret after you do it and then you regret it. You should think about the regret of sitting against God before you do it. That's what keeps us from sinning. Yes, sin does have its pleasure. Taking those things gave Achan a good feeling. But the penalty of sin, both within us and upon us, outweighs any of the fleeting pleasure of sin at the moment. Verse 19, now Joshua said to To Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered and Joshua said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils of a beautiful Babylonian garment 200 shekels of silver and a wedge wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So he comes right up and he, he obviously has to acknowledge what God is revealing. But notice the the cycle here. It starts by, I saw the spoils. Now, first of all, he shouldn't have called the spoils. He should have said, I see what the Lord is about to get from the first fruits. And I am happy to make sure the Lord gets this stuff. Because it's all God's. He should have kept it in perspective. It was God's. It wasn't his. That's his first mistake. But then after he saw it, he then revealed that he coveted. It was a mindset, a heart. I covet, I want, I'm going to do whatever it takes to take it. That's his second mistake. The third one is that he took it. He actually committed and took it. And then it finally, it always, when you take and you do sin and you do this trespass, you will always hide it. You will try to hide what you did. And sure enough, he hid it in the earth. Now, measure against the lives of these 36 men. And all the welfare of the nation, of the impact of the nation that was going to happen. Think about those families who lost those 36 men. Look at all these families watching. Achan is the one who caused this to happen and to lose the lives of their men. Truly the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6.10 I saw, I covet, I took, and then I tried to hide it. So what happens? 
Verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. He had to verify. He couldn't just take it. He needed to prove that this is exactly what happened. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Why? Because it was the, the Lord had to bring judgment. Then Joshua and all the Israel with him took Achan, the sons of Zerah, the silver and the garment, and the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? It's also referred to as the valley of trouble. Uh, Achor means trouble. And the Lord will trouble you this day. So all the Israel stoned him with stones, and they buried them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the, the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Now you ask yourself, why is his wife and kids and all of the animals also face this consequence? Doesn't Deuteronomy 24, 16, uh, that law say that Israel is prohibited from innocent family members from being punished for the sins of their relatives? It appears, obviously, the wife and the kids very well knew what dad did and brought it in and hid it in the middle of the tent. They're going to know something was going on. And so they obviously they were part of the deal and keeping uh, the secret uh, and, and thought they were going to benefit as a family by taking away from God. And so we find they were all first stoned and then, of course, then buried under rocks there in the front as a... Um, a uh, memorial of what you do when you go against God. And all the people clearly saw that. And the Israelites obviously call it the Valley of Trouble or Achor now. But Hosea tells us this same Valley of Achor, if you go back to, to Hosea 2.15, they call it the Door of Hope. that things can change from trouble to hope when you turn from God back to God then you can have hope and not trouble see this kind of victory only comes after a death to have this change we need to die to such persistent sins if you want to have hope and victory you must die to those sins those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, Galatians 5.24. The power and the victory of Jesus' resurrection are ours as we crucify our flesh daily, pick up our cross, and follow him daily, every day. That is how we have victory. Now, let's see if we can get through chapter 8 real quick. And hold on in here. Here we go. Now we see victory. We don't end on defeat. Well, let's go to victory in AI here. It said, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of the war with you and arise and go up to AI. See, I have given into your hand the king of AI, his people, his city, and his land, and you shall do to AI and his kings as you did to Jericho and its kings. Only its spoil, note this, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. If only Achan would have just waited a day or two and wouldn't have taken the booty, he would have saved his life and saved a win because it was only the first fruits that went to the Lord. Now this stuff, now every time they go to war, they get to collect the booty for themselves. But he wasn't patient. And the covetousness, the greed just overwhelms the understanding. They knew. They knew. That it wasn't some secret that God changed the rules and said, oh, now you can get the booty? No, they, they always known that was, that was part of the, the law. But it was first key to, in regarding to victory. 
They cannot be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The Lord says to Joshua to tell them, Do not be afraid now, Joshua. Do not be dismayed. Tell the people, I'm now with you. I'm going to war with you this time to Ai because you're seeking me and I'm with you. You've, I'm going to give you my presence, my power. I'm taking and You're going to follow me into the war. You don't have to be afraid now. You don't have to be dismayed now. And you get to even get benefit from that in regards to the spoil uh, that will come from the battle victory. Now, in this, one of the things that kept coming back to my mind over the last few days is sometimes after you have a defeat, you fall into sin, you fall into trespass, it's hard to get back up and get started again. It's hard to get back into going back into victory. And so it's often difficult to regain lost ground after you have an AI experience. When you have failed at some point in your Christian life, we need to know how to get back up on track and get up and keep going and following God after a failure. What was it? Past needs to be the past, and you have to learn, that's my past, I've repented, and I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to face God, and I'm going to walk with Him now and go back into obedience. But so many times people won't let the past failures, you bring that baggage with you the rest of your life, and that's going to cause a problem. But we must deal with it, yes, before God by repentance and dying to self, and then look forward to what He has for us without delay. The sooner you get back up, the sooner you repent, the sooner you seek after God. And it's not like you're denying what happened. You just have to recognize God paid for that sin on the cross. And now you've got to get back up and you've got to learn and move forward. God wants us to use our failures in a good way. To use them as a foundation for a great victory in the Lord. That what the Lord has doing and is changing now. That people can learn from your mistakes. But discouragement over the past and fear of the failure, future are the two reactions that often accompany failure. And it will paralyze you. You won't go back to the battle. You won't go do things for God because you're so dwelling on the past failure and the fear of failing in the future. It, you'll do nothing. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do is do nothing for God. The answer to our discouragement and fear is in the hearing and the believing of God's word and move forward. That's it. That is how you and I must move forward if we're going to go and be, have victory with God. See, notice God didn't say take two or three thousand warriors. He says to take all the people of the war with you. Rise up and go after Ai. Guy wasn't discouraged or depressed of what his people did. He didn't want Joshua or the nation of Israel to be depressed or discouraged. Now it's time to get busy and set about being victorious for the Lord because he had a plan. He said, we need to conquer this land. Follow me. But God allowed them to keep the spoil of the city of Ai. If we'll just wait, so many times, if we will just wait, God will bless us exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. But notice, he not only did he not, he changed not only the number of people going to war, but he also says, we're not going to do this in the daytime, we're going to do this at the nighttime. And we're going to actually split it up. We're not just going to keep it all together walking around. We're going to split this up and we're going to have some in the ambush over 5,000 in one place, the rest of them in the other place. And we're going to completely do something different in regards to this. Because God doesn't always go into battle and get victory the same way as the previous victory. His ways we must keep seeking because he might do it a different way to get victory. And then verse 3, we see, So Joshua rose and all the people of the war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commended them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us as, as at 
the first, that he shall flee before them, for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing before us as the first. At the first, therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. So we see here the 30,000 is going up. They're going to have some over on the ambush side of about 5,000 there. And they're going to go up. And they're going to almost appear to draw out AI just like they did before. They're going to see them come after. And as they get close, they're going to turn around, start running. Now, I always ask that question. They didn't have 30,000 warriors in AI. But we also notice here in the scripture, we'll find out that Bethel here also came and joined them. Were they a part of the city at that point? Somehow they joined, must have knew that the, 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 the attack might have come. They asked Bethel and the warriors to come over and join them. But something drew them out and they started chasing as we will see. But notice here, Joshua therefore sent them out and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered or assembled the people and went up and he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. So here they are, they're fulfilling and following this plan of action of war. They're getting ready to do this. They're drawing them out. The goal is to get them all to come out, get them far enough away. The ambush goes in, takes over the city, burns it. They'll see it being burned. And now we're going to see the ambush and the 30,000 turning on them. And they're, they're trapped and they're going to get wiped out here. You'll see this play out here in the preparation for the battle here. And all the people, verse 11, of war who were with him went up. And drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in the ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of, of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. So Joshua, the leader, was right in the midst of the valley. So the enemy could clearly see he was present and he was with his people. He wasn't back at the camp. He was with them in the middle of the battle here. And Israel would regain victory. They had to take the offense, not the defense here. And they didn't want to wait for Ai to bring the battle to them. They wanted to bring the battle to Ai. And it appears that Ai obviously had some uh, possible help from Bethel because they were certainly anticipating possibly a, a, an attack once again. But we also see that Joshua went that night in the midst. We, he wanted to be right there on the offensive against the powers of darkness, against the temptation, be busy doing what the Lord would have us to do. He was busy to do. He was not going to dwell on the past failures. He was about to go in and taking on to what God has called him to do into the next battle for victory. In verse 14, now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle he and all his people and at, and so all of his people joined him, and at that at any point placed before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all the Israel made as they were beaten before them, and they fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and went and drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Why would every man be there? Well, remember, we saw, I think it was 12,000 people in Ai. So how many of those, if 30,000, they need everyone to be able to go into battle. This wasn't just 3,000 showing up this time. Verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out your, uh, the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, and I will give you into your hand. 
And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he stretched out his hand. And they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that. Their hearts sunk again. Their hearts were melting. They saw they had been duped. They had been deceived and in battle. Uh, against and they're going to lose and the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back so all the people from Israel the 30,000 turned around and started pursuing them again now when Joshua and all the Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and the smoke of the city ascended they turned back and struck down the men of Ai then the others came out of the city against them so they were caught in the midst of Israel some of this side and some on that side and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape but the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua and it came to pass when Israel had made an end of, of the slaying of all the habits of Ai in the field and in the wilderness where they pursued them and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed and all the Israelites returned notice that all the Israelites returned we don't see any death once again of any warriors here returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword so it was that all who fell that day both men and women were 12,000 all the people of Ai for Joshua did not draw back his hand Notice that he kept his hand up the entire time through the whole war. That wasn't just happening in just minutes. We don't know how long, but that was a very long time he was leaving, lifting up that spear. Um, that stretched out of the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Now this should remember that stretching of the spear was the same when Joshua went to battle against Amalek, remember, in the wilderness. And when he was, Moses had his hands up and they were, while they were, his hands were up, they were successful in battling. As soon as he let them down, then they were losing. Then he put it back up. So that was reminding right there where God had raised it up to, to signal them to go as an ambush to him, but also signal that God is, says, keep going until I tell you to stop. And again, that's back in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, if you want to read about that victory. So far, Israel's experience is an illustration of this whole history of, of Israel. The ups and downs, victories and losses and back to victories because they were following God, then they weren't following God, then they followed God. I mean, that's the same thing for us. If you, don't, if you stop following God, you're, you're going to lose. You're going to experience defeat. In many areas of your life. But if you will go and continue to truly follow God. Not a religion. Not man. But God. Jesus himself. You keep following. You will have victory. You take your eyes off of Jesus. You will have defeat. And then finally we see the blessings and cursings there at uh, two mountains here. And now it says. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel at Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant, ser, servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered it on offered it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. So they remember what the law said. This knew exactly what they were to do once they came into the promised land and they had victory. They were to have uh, a memorial and a moment here where. They were to build an altar and to sacrifice to the Lord of, of the victory that came from there uh, as a praise and, 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 and glorifying God. It was that fulfillment of Deuteronomy in chapters 27 and 28 that they're referring to here of the law. And, uh, and they offered, we were to see appropriate act of worship and consecration to God 
following a great victory. They were to do that after every victory. And it's the same thing for us. If God gives us victory over something, you should be thankful, grateful, and be worshiping him and, and, and glorifying him for giving you the victory over the situation or whatever is happening that uh, comes against you. But God always should get the glory. Even when men looked at the altar, they would not see elaborate carvings at all. It was whole stones. It wasn't anything elaborate. It wasn't gold-plated and all fancy kind of an altar. It was just whole stones built up. To, it was, the attention had to be on God and not of the building, not of the altar. It had to be always about God um, and not anyone or anything to draw attention to man's work, but to God's work. That is so important. Verse 32, And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were on the front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in the front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. So again, Joshua followed the law. He wanted the, the, the complete law to be continuously to be read from cover to cover, every single word, so that every generation upon generation would remember what God's law says, not only the good, but also the cursings. But it happens, you know, you, know the, 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 you just don't tell everybody, oh, love, 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 but not talk about justice, justice, justice. You don't talk about justice, 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 and not love, love, love. There's a balance there, and you need to teach it all. That's why we do the whole counsel of God. Because in the act of obedience, we see Joshua as a man of the book, obeying the command, Joshua 1.8. We also see Israel as a people of the book, ordering their lives after God's word. That is when you know that you have a solid family when you're following the word of God. Notice here, they went from another about 30 miles up to where the two mountains are, Ebal and Jerusalem, to do this altar, to do this, and it's right in a valley. What a beautiful place to be when you speak. You could hear it all in that valley uh, to be able to speak to all the people at one time. This was not a, a convenient thing for them to do, to go up there 30 miles with the, with the, the tribes of Israel, but they did because it was because it was a commandment of God. It was right and good even if it wasn't convenient and it was costly, you, you do what God's asking you to do. Believers today have the word of God written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. We see that in Romans 8, 1 through 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because God has done an internal work on us and he etches his word on our heart internally. They're all exterior. Altar exterior, the word read out, everything is an exterior influence. That's the Old Testament. Interior, God actually etches the word of God internally to us. So, this event was a life-changing event. We will see as they go on, this was the only defeat of all the seven years. Imagine, they were in battle for quite some time to, get to, to battle the promised land. And, uh, and this was the only defeat was in the first part of Ai because they did not do it when God, they did it on their own strength and not God. So may that be a lesson for us this evening as we seek God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Father, we thank you. And as we think about and ponder on these things, may we just daily just choose to follow you, choose to be obedient to you, choose to follow your word, seek after you. Do not make decisions, go places, make any major uh, shifts or anything, Lord, without you 
you putting the desire in our heart and also confirming by your word of what we are to do or not to do for you. And Lord, may we not get self-reliant, self-confidence, self-anything in regards to anything when it comes to you, Lord. May And how our lives, our families, uh, church, family, everything, Lord, may it be centered upon you. And just as we see your spirit moving, as you see your guiding us and moving, that we take those steps of faith and we continue to do and follow. We'll see the victories. We'll see your presence and sense your presence. And we'll sense and hearing from your word as you guide us, Lord, in our lives and our, our Christian lives. Yes, chaos and all kinds of things are going to be around us, Lord, but may we not be so where we get caught up in covetousness or eyeing of the things and the cares of this world and other things that can that can uh, um, hook us lord and pull us away from uh, from you and, and and your still small voice speaking to us and guiding of our lives lord may we just be just each day waking up seeking after you and throughout the day we thank you and praise you for this evening in jesus name Amen.